since this is our 300th episode, it's a good job Leinster won, even if it was only barely. It's time to start harping on rugby. My name is Jeff Pagano, and welcome to Harping on Rugby, where with the help of some fellow fans, I get the chance to harp on what's going on with Leinster, Ireland, and the wider rugby world. Joining me for this 300th episode is someone earning cap number 47. Welcome back to Mr. Connor Cronin. Um, and thanks for having me back. I didn't realize we were celebrating such an auspicious occasion as number 300. Exactly. Um, so exactly. congratulations. Flown by. Thank you very much. And uh, this rapport is actually going to be a little bit different this week as there's just two of us, but you can be sure we've still managed to cover all the usual main Harpen points. Now, normally at this stage, we have a feature we call the Front Five, where we look at what's going on outside the Leinster Rugby bubble. But we've had to scale that back a bit this week, so it's more of a front row as we'll just be covering three topics as opposed to five articles. And uh, Connor will get us underway with a look at Munster's win over Glasgow. Yeah, um, I, I used uh, the RTE website to, to really get I, I I did watch it myself, but I used RTE to get um, you know a good gist of it afterwards. Um, and I think as a game, you know, even watching it, it was the perfect start for them. They've got three tries in 15 minutes and the bonus point before halftime, having only conceded one try themselves at that, that stage. But I think they will and, and they should be very disappointed to be conceding five tries and every single one of them happening the same way um, for your mall defence to get run over like that five times in one game. And I think if... Glasgow had a better kicker. Uh, this game would have been much, much tighter than that because I think he only got one uh, one or two of those conversions out of the five. Um, so I think it's... it's it, It'd be, as I say, it's a little worrying for them. I think Munster had uh, some very good performances from some players. Um, I think Nankavelli... I'm not sure why he wasn't playing against Leinster last week. I'm not sure was it that he was injured or was it that um, he, he just wasn't available for whatever reason. Um, and I think that's a big difference for me. I think he had an excellent game, particularly uh, the try he scored. And I think a Ahern at six is a bit of a revelation for them. Um, I think it's a really good decision and they're getting to get the most out of him at six. You know, he's still... Uh, a really a force to be reckoned with in the line out. He's still given a lot of drive from that position in uh, in the scrum, but I think he has a little bit more freedom to get around the park. And I mean, the article uh, that I was reading says, you know, Andy Farrell will have been watching the twenty three year old with interest. Um, I think we all are, and he's got a he's got a bright future ahead of him. 
Definitely. Yeah. I mean, um, on those mall tries, I know I wasn't watching it live because my daughter was at the, um, she plays for a, a, a soccer team and uh, they, they were brought to the Ireland match up in Tala. And so I was under strict instructions to be watching that uh, just in, on the one in a million chance that I saw her. Um, but anyway, no, I had the, I had the monster game on the phone and I, I thought I was watching replays because every time I, every time I looked down, there was a line a Glasgow line out leading to a try um and uh that's definitely i mean we're going to be talking about leinster soon in certain areas where we weren't um where we we were consistently bad and uh, that is that is definitely something you, you you would worry about when it happens so often and uh you know you you do say it's you get good things out of a out of you know even when you win if you have stuff to work on but that's a pretty serious one um especially going into europe so we'll see we'll see what happens to them all right okay listen thanks for that connor so now it's time for my part of this segment and uh, i'd like to take a quick look at ireland's involvement in the world series sevens or sevens as it's now called, since they removed the E's, but sure, who needs vowels anyway, anyway, am I right? Anyway, changing the name wasn't the only rebrand, and probably the most significant new feature is that they brought equity to the genders by not only ensuring that every leg has both a men's and a women's event, but they also reduced the number of men's teams from 16 to 12, same as the women's. Now, both Irish teams have been doing reasonably well since we finally invested in the code with qualification for the Paris Olympics, something to look forward to later in the year. But over the weekend, this new Seven series kicked off in Dubai and Ireland got off to flying starts with the women defeating Japan and Brazil and the men overcoming Australia and Spain. But uh, three matches in one day in that Dubai heat pr probably proved too much for us in the third pool matches and with the women falling to Australia and the men against Argentina. And this left our task in the cup quarterfinals that little bit tougher. The Irish women were up against the Canadian side, which had already caused an upset on day one by defeating the USA. But although we were down by seven points with less than a minute left on the clock, we were perhaps too impatient with an extra player as Amy E. Murphy Crow went over in the corner, making the conversion too much, meaning Canada went through. Meanwhile, over on the men's side, there was a crazy quarterfinal as Ireland's only involvement in the first half was one overthrown lineout as Fiji ran in five tries to be 29-0 up at the break before Ireland responded with four unanswered tries of their own until Mark Roach tried to be a little bit too clever with an attempted restart to himself, knocking on in the process and leaving the Flying Fijians as the winners 29-24. This dropped both sides into the playoffs for placings, but still every point counts in the series and the teams had mixed fortunes as the women's fell 19-24 to Fiji to finish in sixth place, while the men overcame Samoa to end up in fifth. Ending up in the top half of both competitions wasn't the worst result for Ireland, but you still feel our ceiling is a little bit higher. When it came to the tournament winners in Dubai, Australia took the women's title, beating New Zealand 26-19 in the final, while the South African Blitzbucket defeated Argentina 12-7 on the men's side. The series now moves on to Cape Town next weekend, with the remaining destinations being Perth, Vancouver, Los Angeles, Hong Kong, Singapore, and finally Madrid at the end of next May. As ever, we live in hope that one day a venue in Ireland might be added to that list. Okay, we're going to move back to yourself, Connor, now, and uh, you're going to have a look at Ulster's game against Edinburgh. Yeah, um, this is a game where I think Ulster are lucky to get away with two bonus points. Um, Edinburgh just appeared to be the stronger side in a lot of areas. And one of those areas that I think was will be worrying for, for Ulster is that it was the scrum. You know, Kitchoff on his first start for Ulster, and he got pinged a couple of times in the scrum. Um, and the other place that they, they they just were not at the races to, to the same level um, is that um, the, the, the Rook 
I think Edinburgh had maybe four or five jackal penalties by the end of the game and just seemed to be much more aware and, and much more conscious of the here are opportunities, take them. And every time they got in and every time they were right bar two, I think it was one where it's like, you're actually grand, but he didn't roll away or one where I think your hands went too far in the first place. That wasn't actually, uh, it was the first half, I think. And that one was really harsh. Um, looking back on it. Uh, I think that they, um, yeah, I mean, look, it, it started so well for Ulster. You know, they have a try in the first five minutes and it looked to be tighter on the scoreboard than I think it actually was on the pitch because it was only 13-12 to Edinburgh at half time. But I, I, I think they were... I, th- I think Edinburgh were just the stronger team on the night, and that's going to be really worrying for Ulster having to go to Bath next weekend. Um, I, I know the the conversation popped up in the chat that Dan McFarland might need to be a little bit worried for more than just the results, and he may need to start worrying about what will his position be if results continue to go like that. But uh, Ulster failed to beat either of the Scottish sides this season. Um, because they lost to Glasgow as well. And say I think two tries in the last five minutes of the game puts a gloss on that scoreboard and gives them that extra bonus point, the, the extra two bonus points, I should say, um, that maybe they didn't necessarily deserve on the night. Yeah, and uh, McFarland uh, had a strange comment after the game. We've actually we've actually heard him talk about his players before and their performances on the pitch before, but this time he seemed to go that little bit further and talk about their training during the week, which is I thought was a weird um, thing to, to to bring up in a press conference, and it has the fans scratching their heads as as well. It's uh, it's it's an odd one. So I mean, it, you know, a week before uh, Europe starts as well, you know, it's a, it, it it is an odd one. But uh, listen, think got, whatever yeah. else goes on. Um, you don't throw your players under the bus. You don't turn around and say things like, my players are not performing to the best of their ability. Because the immediate question is, well, why aren't they? What are you doing wrong that's preventing them performing to the best of their ability? I mean, say it to them all you want. Just close the doors before you do it. Do you know what I mean? It is a a strange one. It makes you you wonder uh, what's going on there uh, going forward. But anyway, listen, they they, they got away with... uh, Probably more match points at the end that they deserve, which isn't something that Leinster would ever do. So uh, we'll, 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 God, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Okay, listen, we're going to leave it there. That's it for our front three. We'll hope to restore this to its usual front five by next week. So now it's time for our feature match of the week, which was, of course, Connacht v Leinster, which was played at the sports ground in Galway in round seven of the 23-24 United Rugby Championship. Now, the forecast for Galway on Saturday evening was to be cold, but while you'll never be without a bit of wind and rain in that part of the world, it certainly didn't seem to be at the usual levels at, uh, as J.J. Hanron got the match underway, Connor. Yeah, um, okay, Th- this was a really interesting start to the game, and I think there are a few things happened very early on that set the tone for how the game would go. You know, you, a lot of the commentary we're talking about um, it, o- over the weekend for anyone playing on a not necessarily grass pitch, um, talking about how no matter what the conditions, it seems to pick up something from those little rubber pellets. Uh, the, the ball seems to pick up something, whether it's moisture or a slickness sometimes. Um, and I feel like 
that was very present. A lot of a, a lot of spilled ball that you wouldn't really expect. And in the first couple of minutes, you know, uh, the, the the first rook we formed, there was a lot of pressure over it. Connacht were really putting the squeeze on us at the rook. Um, and I say that that I think for me set a tone for the night. If we had in that first rook really demonstrated, lads, you're wasting your time here. You'll have to try something else. They would have. But as you look throughout the match at the number of times they got possession from a turnover or uh, just rooked over us a couple of times. Um, and I think it all came from the confidence in that first couple of minutes. Um, I think, you know, eventually, you know, that, that, that initial rook pressure results a couple of minutes later in them getting an actual turnover because our support just wasn't there quick enough. Um, and then came the first line out of the game, which was then to go on to become all kinds of peculiar for the rest of the game. Uh, our line-out was bloody horrific. Um, by the time we get to seven minutes in, you know, and I've got notes looking at all the kinds of things that have happened throughout that first seven minutes. Um, one of the things that I will comment on that's very significant, I think, is that O'Halloran goes off in that first seven minutes, and I think Connacht are really unlucky for that to happen. It's just... It's one of those crappy little injuries that you're doing everything right, but just whatever way players are moving together, his ankle gets rolled and he can't continue. Um, and uh, Hawkshaw comes on for him. But the, the thing for us is that at that point, um, we get to seven minutes and we're on our third faulty lineout. Uh, we've had four lineouts at this stage, and three of them have gone wrong. Uh, one of them is stolen. One of them is Ryan Baird comes down kind of funny on it. Like the, the players lift him just too hard. And as he comes down, and I was looking, and I know the comms team on RTE said it as well, but it's flashbacks to how RG Snyman got yep. injured. Yep. And, and the panic of, you know, that's the last thing we want to see. Um. And then, you know, this third one that goes wrong, this it, it comes off an incredible clearance. Um, you know, we've we've kicked the ball through, and Blade has it, and he's under massive pressure and manages to just slip away from uh, I think it was Osborne was coming down on him. I managed just to avoid him. And from maybe five meters from his own line and only about two meters in, gets up to his own 10-meter line with that clearance. It was absolutely well, I, I I couldn't believe it looking at it and even when I watched it back and I'm like how how have you got that distance on that kick fair play to you lad. like that was an outstanding kick but look again I say we're on we're on another wrong um another wrong line out and that leads to a little bit of kick tennis a bit of that kind of get a line out and then um they get this break Ralston escapes Charlie Nassai, uh, who, who's diving at him. Osborne's come in off his wing to tackle somebody. And Nassai, trying to cover, misses. Gets an offload to, to Mac Hansen, who doesn't need two invitations as he goes sprinting down the pitch, looking left and right for where's the better option, and passes it inside. And suddenly Hawkshaw, who, who's only been on the pitch for a couple of minutes, has his first touch of the ball and scores a try with it. And 
for the couple of times that we've been down there and the couple of times we've been making the efforts towards their line. And this was their first real attacking intent. And they've got to try. Uh, you know, we're, we're fortunate that JJ can't quite convert it. It's it's a it's an awkward angle from there. And I'm not surprised he couldn't convert it. Because um, you, you, you see the same kick uh, a number of minutes later from Harry Byrne from about the same sort of spot. And, and he misses it the exact same way. Um, but it's... Yeah, it's five nil, and you know it's a little worrying because it's like they're they're dominating the line out and they're dominating the rook. Um, so you know at that stage you're kind of thinking, right? Well, where are we going to get? Where are we going to get our set piece? And we're all thinking, okay, this the scrum is to come. We haven't had one yet, and oh, the first scrum happens because a lovely kick through, and this time Blade can't escape as the tacklers are coming in. And he ends up carrying the ball over his own line uh, to dot it down. So we've got a five-meter scrum. That's that's pretty good. You're happy out. It's a great place to exert your dominance, quote-unquote, because <laughs> um, it never came. Um, and I think there's a couple of reasons it didn't come. I think the first reason is that uh, it, it got reset immediately, um, and we got a free kick out of it. And at the time, I was thinking, grand free kick, we might as well take the tap and go. We're really good at that. 100% we need to take the tap and go here. We didn't. We reset the scrum. And then Busby started coaching the scrum. Um, I, I don't want to see a referee saying, this is what you need to do to avoid me penalising you. I want to see a referee saying, you've done that and now it's a penalty. I have a quick chat before the game, but yeah. uh, that's when the chatting should stop. Yeah. yeah. And you know, his exact words, we're not going to have scrums continue like this. And then he proceeds to tell them why and how. You, you do your job in the changing room where you say things like, okay, lads, like, I, I have never played at that level. But anytime I've been in a front row, I've got a referee before the game starts saying, here are things I need you to do. And if they're not doing that at that level, I'm very surprised. Um, and, and it doesn't matter what the penalty is for. Stop telling them why they're being penalised. If they can't figure it out for themselves. You, know, you, you look back to um, Roman Poit. Again, uh, England versus Italy. And Dylan Hartley saying, sir, what, what, what are we meant to do, sir? What are we meant to do? Because the Italians weren't engaging with the rook and then they were just coming around the outside and taking the ball. And Dylan Hartley getting all flustered. Like, and, and Roman Poit said exactly the right thing. I'm your referee. I'm not your coach. Mm -hmm. Ask your coach. Because that's their job. But look, I, I don't want to get this into being a thing of wasn't Busby terrible or wasn't he this, that or the other. Because no. I, I don't think he was. I think he had a fairly decent game. I think that's that's the one spot that I have some genuine concern. And it's not it's not a him thing. It's yeah. an all referees thing. So just to be <laughs> upfront on that. And, I, and yeah. I don't think at any stage when we were behind it, you know, again, our scrum coach should have been the one saying, lads, this is why this is happening. So here's how we prevent it. Um, but there was a lot of pressure off the second reset. Uh, it was, uh, it, it was uh, sorry, to, to create the second reset, I should say. But eventually, look, we get it out, um, get a couple of phases, and then Harry Byrne knocks on, so they exit, and then we go straight back, and then we get another penalty. And it's like, great. 
we'll do something different this time. So we kicked to the corner for our failing line out. Uh, now we were all right. We, you know, we get the ball out of that line out. We get the, we, we get out and a and couple of phases, suddenly we're knocking it on again. But in the build-up, you've got the referee looking at a, a collision, which results in Carl Ford getting a yellow card. Um, the, the comms teams were a bit like, oh, but, oh, but, oh, but. It's a letter of the law yellow. It's one of those ones where if, if it had gone off as a rugby collision and just been a penalty, you might have said, okay, well, look, Fair enough. Like there's no intent. There's nothing gone on there. You know, it's not a case of anybody trying to tackle high or whatever. It's a it's a collision that results in heads being banged, um, or, or not if you believe the comms teams. Um, but he he's taken what he sees and he's given a yellow card. And now we've got a penalty. And at this point, I was kind of looking, going, just take the points, kick the three, because everything else we've done so far hasn't worked um but we kick for the corner again and again we've got just a few phases before our own it's our own mistakes you know it's whether it's knocking it on or dropping the ball or in this case crossing you know that there should have been clarity there it should have been i have i have or i want or any bit of communication that avoids that cross because burn takes the ball and penny is still running so as he hits, it, he, he just bangs into the def- the defender who's aiming for Ed Byrne at that stage. So suddenly it's a penalty again. And there's a few few moments that come after that, a bit of kick tennis and whatever. And I think the big one is um, Baird's very unnecessary clean out. You know, they've cleared their lines. They're moving up the pitch. And Baird, in an attempt to clear Hansen off the ball has rolled him over and you know you can't bring him beyond a certain point yes he comes down safely and all that but it, it wasn't a clever clearance it wasn't a clever uh way to try and clean out that rook and they've got a penalty which it, it goes to the corner and again they're they're inside our 10 at this stage and they knock on and we think okay we've got a scrum now it's a nice clean exit. We're going to get the ball in. We're going to get the ball out. We're going to boot it downfield and just start building territory again and see what we can create. Um, but no, we get done for... I mean, he, he called us our players stepping back off the contact. Just going, and it, it's, uh, it's one of those ones that I think Connacht had the drive on us anyway. I think they would have taken that penalty even if we hadn't stepped back. So you can't complain about it, really. Um, all you can do is hope your scrum coach comes downstairs and shouts a few words in your ear that you need to hear to make sure it doesn't happen again. But they've got a penalty in a very nice kickable position. And now it's 8-0. They're a man down and they're leading the scoreboard with with, with us having the extra man, you know, I mean, to go... And I, I don't want to spoil... For anyone who hadn't watched the game, I don't want to spoil the bits you're going to talk about now, but to go that entire yellow card and score nothing and for them to to go that entire yellow card outscoring us that's that's not what i want to be seeing i don't think it's it's good it's it's not up to the standards we set yeah 
No, absolutely. And uh, like you say, we normally have a second contributor on to do the second and fourth quarters, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm double jobbing this week and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it myself. But uh, like you say, that, that actual sequence going from a five meter scrum on their line to uh, with penalties in the middle, like silly penalties and ending up with Hanrahan extending Connett's lead to eight. That really seemed to be a decisive passage in the match at the time. But little did we know there was a lot more twists and turns to come though. And, uh, but you know, we were eight nil down anyways, and uh, Leinster are known for playing their way back into matches after falling behind. And uh, for the next phase, uh, we did have some decent possession and territory, but we just couldn't make it count with this, just a series of drop passes. Obviously, you have to credit the kind of defense for their line speed and pressure. But I also thought maybe Harry was a fraction too long with his passes at times. And even when he did throw a beauty of a loop pass to Osborne on the wing, this time, Natsai wasn't ready for the inside ball to follow it up. So we were being thwarted time after time. And as Connor said, this also saw out the Sinbin period, meaning Connor had actually won that 10-minute spell 3-0. And the lineouts were still going badly for us, even when we tried something different. That, that I've been calling for this one-two-one variation um, for a while, and they actually tried it, but it was spoiled by a crooked throw. So what Leinster really needed was for the home side to hand us an opportunity, and eventually this did happen when with the scrum penalty at the twenty-two. Again, awarded to Conant, got reversed by referee Chris Busby, but who, by the way, was there instead of Andrew Brace on the night. So we had Chris uh, two weeks in a row. But uh, he he reversed the penalty after about a handbags, which saw uh, Seamus Hurley Langton pulling Ryan Baird back by the scrum cap. There was a lot of going on, but that was the one action that really was was probably that that step too far that probably did warrant warrant that call. And uh, the line out from this penalty did work for Leinster with Deegan providing the crash ball carry to the line and Conant's discipline let them down again as they ignored the ref's call don't play the nine which gave us a five meter penalty and although the relatively easy three points would have been handy at this point i still saw a sense in the tap and go option totally agree with connor that we probably should have taken it earlier on when we had it when we had that scrum call uh, five meters or the free kick five meters from the line but we hadn't gone for it yet anyway so this was the time to do it and since this is a set piece at this stage, effectively, finally, we had one where we got the execution nigh on flawless because first you had Ronan Kelleher and his, um, and his latchers do a fake out. Then Ben Murphy showed like he was going to pass left before finally going the other way to Natai who crashed over. And suddenly, just like that, it was a one point game. Now, after the restart from there, there was two successive penalties against Scott Penny for not rolling away. Now, whether you believe he was pinned in or not, you think because they were called it might have the ref, you know, gotten them at least a warning or something from them for those two, two successive penalties. But that still gave the home side a big chance before the break. But now it was their turn to fluff their lines at the lineup, as now Murray just couldn't haul it in. And Leinster happily killed the ball, killed a half, leaving the score at the break. Connett eight, Leinster seven. <laughs> Now, before we continue, first, let me remind you that we're also recording an extra little chat for our YouTube channel. This is one to mark both our 300th episode plus the launch of our new Harpen and Rugby account on the Blue Sky social media platform. If you're signed up over there, be sure to follow the, the link in the program notes. I put out a general rugby question and Connor and myself will read out some of the responses as well as sharing our own. To catch that, you need to go onto our Harpen on Rugby YouTube channel. And while you're there, why not like, share and subscribe as well? So we go back to the match and Harry Byrne got the second half underway, Connor. He did. And it did not start well for us again. Uh, I I talked to the first half about the things that were going wrong early on and how that kind of set a little bit of a tone and immediately 
we've got Russell hitting the lifted the lifter. Sorry, so the 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 um the, the as the restart comes in, Murray's being lifted and he catches the lifter and it, it, it is a rugby collision. He's looking up the whole time, but he's just kind of backed into the player. So in trying to put down uh the, the lifted player, it, he's in the way. So it's an immediate penalty. And you're like, okay, fair enough. And then after you know, they kick to touch, they get a line out, a couple of phases, and now we've got Culhan rolling away. And you were talking about it for the first half, how you know. Scott Penny not rolling away for two successive uh, rooks or two, or two well, sorry, two success tackles by him. And they could have got a warning. Well, here was where the warning came. You know, we've got players not rolling away. And again, you know, as you say, maybe, maybe it's to do with how they're being pinned in a little bit or, you know, whatever. But it's your responsibility. You're the tackler. You've got to get out of there. And in fairness, we were better after that. Um, you know, you take what the referee has said and you do a better job for the next 40 minutes. Um, I think, you know, they might have been justified in asking. Like if Blade had gone up and said, sir, that's a lot of penalties for the exact same thing. You'd have, you wouldn't have really complained in that situation. But we were lucky enough that uh, that he didn't put the hand in the pocket. Um and there's a lot going on then in that first few minutes of, um, you know, they're, they're making little breaks, but they're not making big breaks and they're getting ground. But they're not getting a lot of ground. And I think our defence was much better in that first sort of five minutes or so than it had been previously. Um, but they get this lovely little break with um, from Blade. Blade had an incredibly good game. Like I, I could see why... Whether the score had been the final score or not, by the time the announcement was made for who would be player of the match, he was he was well worth the money for it. You know, he he had really done a cracking job all game. Um, but they get a break, and as he kicks through, I think Russell does incredibly well to deal with it. The, the, the kick through comes, and as he picks it up, he's tackled, and he places the ball down. Uh, and picks himself up and he's like, well, I've let go. The tackler has to let go of me. And as he's trying to go and pick up the ball, as one of the Connacht players is coming in, he actually knocks it on. Um, so we're thinking, great, we've got advantage. A couple of phases and Harry puts the ball out, though not very well, thinking even if it goes terribly, we might get the uh, we might get the scrum back in that position, but we don't. Uh, we get a uh, we get we get a Connacht line out for the you know, ref calls advantage over. The second the boot touches Harry's ball, um, so they get the the put into the line out, and you're kind of going, oh, something needs to change now to make the line out better. Enter Key and Healy and Tyke Furlong. Um, what what a pair of players to be able to bring off your bench. What a pair, and it's so good to see Key and Healy back playing for us. And I know he'll have been gutted to miss the World Cup and whatever, but he's going to spend, I'd say, the rest of this season. Proven why he should have been there anyway. Um, and I'm really excited to see how well he plays over the next while. But immediately, we're stealing a line out. And I don't know, is it the quality of the lift or just that we were starting to read a little bit better? And all the mistakes from our own line out from the first half now seemed to be Connacht's mistakes because we got three steals in the space of it felt like only about four minutes or something. Um, 
And, and it was Baird and Jenkins getting those steals and, and absolutely brilliant to see. Um, we, we had a few unlucky moments, you know, where big pick through and the ball bounces off players and, and we regain, but then they get over us in, in, in a rook or we, you know, it, th- those kind of little moments where if, if we were at 100%, we'd make full use of those opportunities. But we weren't at 100%, and and far from it, I I would say. Um, but look, they uh, eventually we get a bit of after some um, some kick tennis. They get really lucky with one of their one of their kicks because Frawley's kind of looking at it and thinking, okay, it's going to bounce, and then I'll take it, and it bounces right into his shin and straight out. And the fifty twenty two was on in the first place, and now suddenly it's their line out. And look again, they couldn't get it going, and I th- and the reason they couldn't get it going this time now is because they're worried from the previous couple of steals, and Dennis Buckley just doesn't know what to do. And then suddenly he steps in field with the ball still in his hands, and nobody jumping, nobody being lifted. And we've got ourselves a free kick and an opportunity to to, to get out. Um, you know, we forced a knock on. We've got a few phases building until eventually we can win a penalty and put it into the corner. Um, off that penalty, you've got uh, a, a good strong maul that leads to another penalty. And Foley was on at this stage, goes for the quick tap and runs straight at two Connacht players. And, you know, anyone wants to say, oh, it's a bit cynical to run straight at them. It's like, well, they could have got out of his way. If they'd moved a little quicker to retreat, they, they needed to move faster. They move faster, they get over their throwing trial line and back to where they eventually hit them, uh, to, to, to where they hit Foley. But uh, Dooley's the one ping for it. And he yeah, spends the next gonna, If you're going to run at somebody, nothing against Peter Dooley, but if you're going to run to someone, it might as well be a prop. It might as well be a prop and it might as well be somebody who might have a little bit of an inside track on some of our players yeah. having played with them for so long. So uh, I, I didn't mind seeing them go for the 10 minutes. Yeah. I'll be totally honest. I think we needed it. Yeah. Um, and then again, we revert back to the tap and go. And it's only three phases needed before Jenkins uh, manages to pick up from the base and dive over for his happy birthday try. Uh, so, a, a nice way to celebrate your birthday, scoring a try. Um, and nice to get the conversion as well. And suddenly our scoreboard is looking an awful lot healthier. You know, we're 14-8 up and things are just a little bit nicer. And look, there's a bit of mess. And then after that, again, you know, you get a bit more kick tennis. You get some, you know, you get more knock-ons and things. Um, I think... So eventually, when we started building phases, we were much more clinical in in even even those ten minutes following Jenkins' try. You know, we were resourcing rooks better. They weren't getting the opportunity to turn us over, um, and we were resor- resourcing rooks so well that eventually the ball comes to Kohan and he drives over, only to technically hold himself up. From scoring a try, it's his own arm underneath it, with a little bit of help at either end from a Connacht hand, so that he can't tilt it one way or other to to dot it down. Um, but that's a goal line dropout for us. And again, good phases, 
good pressure. We're building, we're moving well. And uh, Charlie Natai spots a little bit of, of a gap and he's got Russell outside him screaming for it. So he kicks it through. Russell goes running through and it's it's a really weird moment as Russell's trying to get control of it with his foot. And whatever way it bounces, Kelleher, who's in support, it suddenly just bounces right up into him. And the two Connacht defenders are looking at Russell and leaving a barn door for Kelleher to dive over for try number three. And suddenly the scoreline is looking a whole lot healthier. And as I said earlier, you know, um, Harry Byrne misses that conversion from, you know, it's approximately the same spot that JJ was kicking from previously when he missed. Um, but, you know, the try is good. The And, and while the conversion is not, we're now 19 points to eight to the good. And it's looking a heck of a lot healthier. You know, for, for all the pressure we've been under, for how for all the mistakes we're making, it actually felt like at that point in time that we could go on and win it. And then we did silly things like let Mac Hansen come running at players with some space. You know, the, 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 Mac Hansen had a couple of great runs. You know, ones where runs where he's running through players where there is no gap. It's like, oh, I thought I thought you tackled him. Do you know, I I well oh. I swear he at one stage running into the twenty-two. I swear he actually passed through somebody like a ghost. I mean, yeah. I it, there was there was there was no gap there. It didn't seem to be anything you know, possible. I, you end up with two players looking going, oh, I I thought you tackled him, mm. and and the other fellow might go, no, I thought you did, and and and, and suddenly he's in space again. But between him and uh, after a couple of great phases from them, um, Murray had a brilliant break, and there's. His players, both sides of him, screaming as he takes that into contact. And I thought we were just really, really lucky um, that he did take it into contact because the next couple of phases um, lead to Hawkshaw getting it. And as he tries to swing it out wide, just ends up passing it forward. Um, and again, we're looking, here's a scrum and a, a, an opportunity now to, you know, get them back out of our 22 and rebuild and see how we go. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you say, that, that Hawkshaw pass may have been forward, but like, that move that led up to it, it was just a clear sign that Connor had by no means given up. And uh, Jamie Osborne being forced off at the same time as well certainly wasn't going to help our cause. But uh, it wasn't long before they were back in the contest after Leinster's uh, central defense was found wanting again. The whole sports ground thought our line was offside, but even if we were, we didn't make much advantage of it as uh, a pass to Boyle got him easily through with an offload to Ford, allowing him to run at full pace into the 22, where Quaylen Bay held a perfect trailing line of support to take it the rest of the way, allowing Hanrahan to convert and bring the margin down to just four. Now, for me, a theme from these defensive lapses we've seen from Leinster this season has, has not just been an issue from those central channels, but also in the timing. It often happens in a period of broken player transition. This try actually came after a lineout we stole, and the run back came from our clearance. So it looks like we're struggling to get our shape right um, in those situations. And if that's the case, you can be sure coaches will be looking to exploit that in the weeks ahead. 
And that transition thing struck us again a few minutes later when no doubt Boyd by the crowd's rendition of Fields of Athen Rye, a strong counter ruck at halfway allowed Boyle to steal. And from there, Connor's wingers combined as Hansen quickly spotted a mismatch with Deegan and left him for dead before letting in Kilgallen for a clear run to the post. And just like that, the home side were back in front by three points with just 10 minutes left. But what a 10 minutes those were to be. Now, not all of it was exciting. In fact, for a large chunk of it, there was absolutely nothing happening with multiple scrum resets, accounting for almost half the official playing time. But while Leinster did have some opportunities, we just kept finding ways to hand them back to our hosts, including more line-out woes. And when Connett won a scrum penalty with the clock at 78-23, that really should have been that. But there was to be one final bout of dart yips as Dylan Tierney Martin's throw was crooked, making it last chance saloon for Leinster. Now, I have to be honest, as much as I love my province, the way this match had transpired, it gave me absolutely no faith in us making anything from this scrum at halfway, especially as it was actually set with a clock having just gone into the red. So there was no room for any more unforced errors. In fact, I wouldn't have blinked if we shipped a penalty from the set piece itself, but it went fine, and Leinster went straight through the hands out to Rob Russell, who I thought was up among our top performers on the night. He got us to around the 22, and while I was still expecting a spill at some point, we worked it back across the pitch, stretching the home defense even further. And when we sent it back the other way one last time, a combination of Harry to Charlie to Turner got it to Frawley, who stepped bamboozled two kind of defenders enough for them to fall on their arses. Although, to be fair, they could be forgiven for just assuming it was headed back to Russell again. And this allowed Frawley to just power ahead and commit absolute robbery for Leinster. Harry couldn't convert it, but it didn't matter. And the final score was Connett 22 Leinster, 24. Okay, so now is the time where I ask uh, Connor for his final thoughts on the match. Um, I mean, look, you, you're not wrong. Daylight robbery, uh, or nighttime robbery in this case. But I, you know, I said that at the time, that I thought we, we'd come away having stolen the win. Um, on watching it back, were Connacht that much better that they should have won? I'm not 100% sure anymore. Um, but they had put themselves in absolutely the right position. And I think it bodes really well for them. I, I could see as this season progresses, you know, give, you know, put 10 performances like that in against any 10 teams and you'll come away with the win. Um, but it just, you know, championship teams find a way to win, find a way to get the points and grind it out. And that's what Leinster did last night. You know, they found a way and as many ways as we found to start giving it away, um, you know, finding the win is is what we do well. Um, I say, I think, I think Connacht would have been very deserving of that win had they got it. Uh, and I think the fact that not only did we take the win, but also take the bonus point as well, um, that's going to have, I, I really hope that's going to have pissed them off a lot, that they take that and they fuel their European campaign starting next week with that kind of, we are better than that, because I, I think they are. You know, I think Connacht have a real shot at, at, at um Whatever about top eight, I think um, even looking at just the Irish Shield, uh, I don't expect Connacht to be the bottom of that this season. Um, 
and I really hope they're not, uh, especially the way other teams are playing at the moment, I think. Uh, but look, th- th- this is about Leinster. It's about say, finding a way to make the win happen and and getting out of there with five points on the road. Um, I think we're, we're kind of reaching a point where 14 changes to a squad is stopping us from being at our best. And we weren't at our best last night. I think new combinations is stopping us from being at our best. You know, we had, it's the first time Baird and Jenkins have been in the second row together. It's the first time that I and Henshaw have been uh, together uh, at centre this season. It's the first, you know, it, it's lots of, it's first time for um, Ben Murphy and Harry Byrne. You know, they're key partnerships. They're key positions where you want a bit of continuity and you want a bit of uh, consistency. So, you know, we're running out of opportunities to rest a whole heap of players because we've got a big European match or we've got a match that we think might be a bigger game. The, the league is improving that much that there aren't those games anymore. You have to put out a strong side. You've got to put out a capable side and you have to keep some of those big name players in to make sure you get those wins. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure like Leo and Jack and the, the team have a plan when it comes to selection. But I mean, it's just, you know, we, we harp on this every week. So we, we sort of we find our own themes and patterns. And like after last week, the way last week went with Ross Byrne going off and stuff, we we just we talked ourselves into Frawley being uh, in the 10 picture at least this week uh, to prepare uh, for Lara show, but uh, they went their different way. I mean, and, and even when the selection was made, we were trying, we were all trying to mentally find a way. Okay. How's Frawley going to get to, what what are they going to do to get Frawley to 10 in this game? Are they going to move Harry over to 12? Are they going to bring um, Turner into 13? Will Henshaw go to 15? We're mentally thinking it's, a, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's not what they're doing, but it's, it's, you can't really afford to go that far. Um, with with coming up with these, but like you say, if you if you're going to make that much changes, it's going to affect the cohesion. You had Osborne on the wing when he's been doing well at 13. You had all these, you know, it was it was all over the all over the pitch. There was some um, some strange selection, but so that was bound to affect the cohesion. It was bound to cause some um, you know some difficulties. But like you say, they they found a way at the end. I mean, if you I hate to keep bringing up the Champions Cup final, but if we reviewed that match as La Rochelle fans on a normal day, we would be critical. We'd say, why the hell did we let, why the hell did we go 17 points nil down? What happened with those tries? Why aren't we ready for that? But then when you watch it back, you realize, well, no, actually they found a way back into the game and they grounded mm-hmm. out and they got it done. And um, just that final sequence alone, the, 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 the mindset of, keeping the ball and put not just keeping the ball moving, but moving it in such a way to stretch the defense and make the space because we needed to try um, that, that, you know, that was a positive for, for what was an even more makeshift team by the end of the game. So there, there were positives. There's good performances. I thought Russell, like I said already was good. Um, I thought Kohan was quietly good. He had some good, strong carries up the middle. I think he did. I think he, I think he is progressing well. Um, they're they're giving him a lot more responsibility at the start of the season. It's good to see, and um, there you know there 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 were some and some uh, good aspects to the game, and of course that frolly bit of that step right at the end as well was 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 the key uh, result. And like you say, just watching those two comic players falling over in their effort to try and turn and move, and 
I think possibly, and you know, they, they made their decisions when they put in a new pitch. Mm. Um, I think a grass pitch, they might not have fallen over. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, th- th- them's the breaks. Yeah, absolutely. But it's a good use because, I mean, we see Irish teams doing a lot more of this three or four or five passes in a row. It's like boom, boom, boom. And they went, we went back, we went one way, we went the other. And just, it, it was almost like hypnotizing the other team, assuming you're going to pass. So it always gives you the option to step and go forward, um, yeah. you know, to and and they 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 use that really well. So there there were pauses, and of course we got the win, top of the league, and you know it did. You know we, we can't we can't really complain too much. I know the rest of the league kind of doesn't want Leinster to do. Well. The rest of the league was disgusted by that. The rest of the league were keen to say, "Oh, you got out of jail." Well, let them say that. Um, we you know we're we're happy enough with the result and disposition. You know we would have always wanted to be in this position. We're not we're not uh, winning all the games fifty nil. We're not like 30 points clear going into Europe like we would have been maybe this time last year, but that's not a bad thing either. It's uh, there's, there's stuff to work on and, but we're still getting results. So listen, listen, we'll take it. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, that's brilliant. We're going to leave it there. Many thanks to Connor for joining me. Hope to have on again soon, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks a million. And uh, that's it for now. Well, next weekend sees another quest for star number five begin with Leinster heading over to play our good friends from La Rochelle. So we will, of course, be giving that the full harp and treatment with a rap recording on Sunday, plus a preview on the Friday. So stay tuned to all of our social media channels. The links, as ever, are in the program notes. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. Slan.